Welcome to Change Happens Now, Season 2, brought to you by Ignite. In this season, we sit down with diverse leaders, innovators, storytellers, and changemakers from across sectors, traditions, and backgrounds to discuss what it means to become a wisdom-based leader creating social transformation. Transformation that our world and our moment desperately need. If you are looking to discover wisdom, find purpose, and create change, you're not alone. Join this emerging collective having the conversations that matter most. Let's dive in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this first episode of Season 2 of Change Happens Now. My name is Jonathan Murillo, and I'm excited to be with you today. I'm joined by two other uh, amazing leaders. Some you may know, some may be new voices for you. And uh, we are here excited to kick off this second season of Change Happens Now. So I'm joined by the Reverend Dr. Isaiah Yonk who was your host for season one and should be a familiar voice. And I'm also joined by Byron Chung, the executive director of Ignite. Gentlemen, how are we doing today? Doing great, John. It's good to be with you, Jonathan. Thank you so much for the introduction. Absolutely. I'm excited for the conversation that we're, we're about to have to kick off and really frame uh, this next season. Um, really what this season is focused about is kind of gleaning together some of the the insights, the threads and themes that were uncovered in those meaningful conversations from season one. In season one, we were able to sit down with leaders across traditions and cultures and uh, industries and hear um, some of the creative and divergent ways that people were enacting social transformation in their communities and in the work that they're doing. One of the things that we noticed in season one, as we sat down with leaders across industries from different backgrounds, different cultures, different spiritual traditions, all of them trying to enact and create social transformation, uh, were that there were certain themes and threads that started to emerge. And in these conversations, we started to, to pay attention to uh, what are those common competencies that they all were committed to developing? What were some of those core convictions and practices that uh, propelled them in their work, sustained them in their work, and would be worth us leaning into and committing to as a community? What are those markers of what it means to be a wisdom-based leader? And what does it mean to enact social transformation uh, together as a collective? And so in this episode, what we're going to do is really try to name some of those core competencies that emerge that make up this framework of what it means to be a wisdom-based leader. And throughout the rest of the season, you'll hear, again, more insights, more conversations with leaders who are living that out on the day-to-day -day in their unique way and perspective. For us in our own journey, how did we end up um, being pulled and compelled into this work together? And what it is that we see is really worth investing uh, in cultivating in our own leadership and then also in this community that we're building together. So with that, Isaiah, I'd love to start with you. And just for you, uh, you know, what what brought you to this moment where you see this as as pivotal and vital for you to to lean into in our community as well? Yeah, I think for me, it's important to note that I am the son, the eldest of uh, parents who are immigrants to the United States. And for someone who saw their journey where they walk through significant uh, levels of poverty uh, as youth and as children and as they grew up in this country, I've seen a lot of the the challenges that we face as a nation and ways in which we do not have a society where every person has equal access to thriving, to um 
opportunities to lead. And so part of the hope that I have with this work and, and for our time and our moment is that we're all recognizing these inequities on huge levels, but how can we be part of creating more opportunities and how can we showcase stories and narratives and leadership practices that really come from those experiences that have been marginalized in our society. For someone who uh, is comes from a family of immigrants, as well as someone who identifies uh, as a person of color, I am committed to the ways in which we can see justice happen. And, and not just for those who are come from immigrant backgrounds or those who have been racially minoritized, but for every person. And so I also recognize as a, a cisgender, heterosexual male, that I also have blind spots because of the privileges that I've been afforded and why it's so important for this work and this community that we begin to feature other kinds of expressions of leadership, other kinds of knowledge and efforts that come from different identities, different cultural and spiritual traditions. And so for me, it's really what can I offer, but also what can I learn? What do I have to unlearn? about uh, my own leadership journey so that I can be part of a society and of a world that we can see everyone thrive. Yeah, that's amazing. I think I resonate with so much of what you said. And I imagine that our our audience does as well. And um, to to articulate the, the need and the, the prompting for this work in your own unique experience, but also a shared one as well. Thank you, Isaiah. Uh, Byron, I'm curious for you too, what is leading you into this work? What has kind of led in, in your own journey uh, as this being something that you're, you're really committed to cultivating in yourself and in us as a community. Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate it. You know, I think about my story very much like Isaiah's parents. I am a first-generation Chinese-American from Taiwan. And uh, my experience growing up in this uh, unfamiliar country as an 11-year-old with a language I did not speak except for the for the word what was fascinating to say the least. Um, the life shaping encounters of um, prejudice, uh, awakening, reconciliation, friendship, growth, failures and successes. It's the totality of those experiences, I believe, that has shaped uh, my leadership formation. And, uh, you know, as I look back at my life from those turbulent early years as a teen to uh, discovering my identity and value through a higher purpose, uh, I look back in the last 28 years, I have had the privilege to lead organizations, large and small, uh, including for the last 15 years as president of two colleges. I've committed to investing my life and time in training and developing other leaders, as well as being fortunate enough to learn from some incredible mentors, as well as some uh, not so great ones. You know, and uh, leadership has the learning of leadership and the growing as a leader has always been an integral part of my path um, in the last 20, 30 years. And if I can sum up my leadership formation in one word, and, and that word really uh, would be intentionality. Uh, I believe that in leadership, good intentions are simply not enough to shape the directions of organizations, to lead people towards higher purpose or to change the culture or to improve the lives of people. It is when good intentions become intentional habits and practices that ultimately makes a difference. And uh, I often think of, you know, being Chinese, I, I often think of this quote uh, from Confucius. And I love this quote as he said, wisdom, compassion, and courage are the universally recognized moral qualities of men. And when we talk about wisdom-based leadership, it is that relationship, a, a choice to intentionally influence behavior 
that ultimately results in collective success. Um, when we intentionally seek out wisdom, we live compassionately, we live courageously and use everyday life to bring about positive changes in the life of others. That is what true leadership emerges and begin to live life that truly matter. And, and that's really is my goal. And my goal for Ignite is to help raise people up, to raise the next generations of leaders to live lives that truly matter. So. Yeah. Thank you, Byron. That's amazing. That really clear, but difficult uh, move from good intentions to intentionality of practice, I think is a, at the heart of some of what we're doing together in this collective and what we will hear in this season on the podcast. For me, I resonate with a lot of the of your perspectives that you both brought to this work and what's led you here. I would also say that as, um, as a mixed race person with a mestizo lens, mestizo just meaning mixed, um, I've been hungry in my own leadership and my own work with leaders as I coach leaders in uh, nonprofits and early stage startups and social enterprise uh, organizations that are trying to enact good work in the world, but sometimes perpetuating some of the status quo, sometimes accidentally creating cultures that do harm within their own teams and organizations while trying to make an impact on the broader world and communities that they're a part of. And so much of that comes because we, you know, silo the conversations of leadership and spirituality and justice and social innovation. And what I've been really hungry for as a person who's had to kind of duct tape those things together and, you know, go to this well for leadership, but maybe that doesn't really speak to who I am as, as a mestizo person, as a person of color, go to this well for spirituality, but maybe it doesn't necessarily, you know, um, speak to the, the action that I'm compelled by um, to see good advanced in the world and in my community. And then to go to this well for justice, but then finding that there isn't necessarily the sustaining that is needed for social transformation in the long haul. When I was working with a nonprofit in Southern California, we were doing community development in some largely immigrant neighborhoods. I remember a mentor of mine and my executive director, she was sharing with me that the, the closer and the longer you do life with the suffering, the more you'll find yourself thirsty for a spirituality that sustains you. And, and that is proven true. It's because the, the, the more you give yourself to this life of seeing social transformation, the more you'll become aware of how your own transformation is needed. And I think that that thirst is something that binds us together, those in our Ignite community and those that we've sat down with in these conversations over season one and will continue to do over this next season. But really, as you can listen through all of these themes and threads, you'll see that that there, there's this, these commitments to cultivate these practices has really led us to needing to name a framework. What does it mean to be a wisdom-based leader? What does it mean to be the kind of leader that can open ourselves up to our own transformation and then commit to working for a social transformation? And so for the next few minutes, we'd love to walk you through a three-part framework that we've come to name in just our work of discerning together with our, with our mentors, advisors, guides, censoring wisdom and resource that has been marginalized. And we're going to walk through that framework together over the next few minutes. But the three parts of that framework are really cultivating these three competencies. Courageous collaboration, contemplative care, and creative communication. We're so glad you've joined us for season two of Change Happens Now. 
where you'll hear more stories, insights, and wisdom from leaders affecting social transformation across various sectors, traditions, and backgrounds. If you're looking to go deeper into this work with intentionality and supported by community, please visit our website at igniteatpsr.com and check out our living workshops facilitated by some familiar voices of our favorite Ignite personalities. Isaiah, this is something that you're really passionate about and uh, have have really given your life to articulating in different spaces, whether that be in the academy or in faith communities or for you know business and organization leaders. Talk to us about this component of wisdom-based leadership that we call contemplative care. Yeah, for me, when I think about the need of care that is contemplative in the world, I think nobody would disagree that the world could always use more care, that we see a lot of problems, we see a lot of injustice, we see a lot of misunderstanding, we see a lot of violence. And one one of the antidotes to all those things is the ability to care for ourselves and one another. But yet, so often, for many people who care very deeply, that care can easily be depleted because after all, we're, we're only just human beings. And so there's been a phrase known in uh, psychology as compassion fatigue, which literally shows up in so much literature of people who are given to caring professions, whether it be social work, whether it be health, whether it be spirituality, whether it be justice work. And so there is, there is really a need to understand how our care can be drawn from a place of deep resource and not out of a, a place of obligation or out of a place of of lack. Uh, and so this, this call for contemplative care is really about recognizing that the care we can offer to the collective is tied to the care that we can tend and offer ourselves at the personal level. And I really want to call our community as we think about the power of contemplative care to not think about self-care as something that's individual, but to recognize that care becomes contemplative when we truly learn to listen to our needs at the personal level, tend to those needs. And then from that spaciousness, from that abundance, can we then see clearly how we can show up for those around us? And when we choose to live with that type of care, our leadership changes because we're now able to see problems and issues with a whole different set of eyes, whole different set of clarity, and allows us to be sustained and resilient for the many challenges that will continue to come. It also, I will say, recognizes our limitations. Contemplative care really embraces the fact that we're not going to solve everything in our lifetimes, but that we can do something that's very significant to set people up who come after us um, in a new way, in a better way, in a transformative way. And so we trust this journey and this path, and we recognize that if we're going to engage social transformation in the long run, that contemplative care is vital to that work. Thank you, Isaiah. Uh, Byron, you mentioned that your work uh, is committing to developing other leaders over your long journey as a leader and the things you've been able to, to create and build. Mm. And so at the heart of your work is really this uh, second component in the framework of wisdom-based leadership, which is what we call courageous collaboration. Talk to us about uh, courageous collaboration. Yeah. Thanks, John. You know, I, I am have spent my entire career learning and just passionate about leadership. 
And, uh, and I found that leadership is something that is often misunderstood as well. True leadership really is not about a title or position or temporary achievement, even the color of your skin or which tribe you belong to. You know, true leadership uh, cannot be won over, appointed, or assigned, and it comes only from the inner person. Throughout my career, I've mentored many young people, and and uh, many of them, because of their background, marginal coming coming from marginalized communities, similar backgrounds as as me, and and has felt that somehow they're not worthy of becoming a leader. But my message to them is, yeah, yes, you can. Because leadership is not about all those things that I talked about. It starts from within the inner person. It must be earned, and it can be learned from everyone who desire growth. What we I hope to do is, through these courses, is really help people explore together what true leadership and what a heart-centered leadership really is and how everyone can become a uh, wisdom-based leader. When we talk about courageous collaboration, again, it, we, it goes back to the inner person. It's about the depth of a leader's character that ultimately forms courageous collaborations and sets the course for an organization. And what I hope to do is in our courses that we will dive deep into these practices of courageous, courageous collaborations, which there are three specific practices that forms this, this lesson really is about embodying, encouraging and, and empowering. And the practices embodying, for example, that we will learn about three transformational principles. Number one is really a leader's leader's lasting value is measured by by difference making. Number two, an authentic leader is someone who sets and lives out the core values of the organization in their daily practices. And third is credibility as a leader comes from practicing what you preach. In the practices of encouraging, you will learn that that authentic leader touches the heart first. And this is so important. You know, we in a culture today that we 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 focus so much about revenue growth and and and, and stockholder, you know, the growth of a, of a stock, for example. But rather, in order to accomplish true success, it's really about touching the heart and the people within an organization, building trust. And once you have that, it's thus influence the organization for greater results. Is the idea that people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. And really the last part of this principle uh, of courageous collaboration is the practice empowering. This idea that authentic leaders is secure in their position and gives up power to others and creates space or allow individuals and teams to flourish. My hope is in, in, in these courses that, that people will not only learn about the practice of courageous collaborations, which I'm confident will help transfer, transform the way that individuals and teams and communities uh, to go about spiritually rooted change, but also will learn stories and, and, and insights and, and be guided through exercise to help cultivate the practice to become a better leader and help people continue to aid them in this journey to pursue uh, personal and social transformation. Thank you, Byron. So you've heard about contemplative care and you've heard about courageous collaboration. And really the third component, the third competency that makes up this framework of wisdom-based leadership is what we call creative communication. And creative communication is really, really unearthing this, this phenomenon that we see in most work and leadership today. It's really a race of regurgitation, right? It's, 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 
in an attention economy, it's about how can you get your reaction to a trend out first? How can you um, play by the rules of the algorithm? How can you tailor your messaging to be, you know, what's going to get the most impressions, the most traction according to, you know, um, social media appetites? But then also that makes its way into our, in our organizations, where in our, in our team meetings. We don't know how to listen to each other. We don't know how to communicate in a way where we're actually even just starting our work together on the same page and we're missing each other every day and leaders are undermining their influence because walking around trying to make decisions uh, without actual input and feedback from their team and or from their communities that they're trying to serve and over time that subtle shift in messaging that subtle shift in what we're communicating leads us down into drifting away from our mission and our commitments and our identity as organizations and as leaders in general and so this attention economy that really plays into this our limited attention span and needing to be in front of people's eyes and ears just constantly without even a regard for how that communication is actually creating or transforming anything. And so the wisdom-based leader is one that cultivates the, the, the competency of creative communication and creative communication is communication that creates. It's a communication that resonates enough to meet people where they're at, but defies the moment enough to create a new one. And at the heart of creative communication is really, really, it's mostly about listening. And it's learning to, to listen with this, this humble curiosity, this curiosity that is willing to disrupt assumptions, but with the posture of humility. It's willing to, to explore interpersonally. Why, why is it that this is, is bothering me? I wonder what that's connected to. Why is this uh, work situation or this team meeting bringing so much up in me? And then that lends itself out to in an interpersonal way with our teams, wondering, you know, why are we coming into this situation in opposition to one another. And then to those that we're serving, uh, what else can be done to advance the good that we want to see happen? But beyond that curiosity, it's also about listening through what people are saying to what people are holding on to, what maybe is threatened, what maybe is the hope that they want to see fulfilled or the, the fear that they are afraid of being realized. And when you can listen through what people are saying to what people are holding, then you're able to name things for people and in a way, guide people just by listening and naming and, and entering into those moments with them. If you're able to truly cultivate this skill of creative communication, you're able to uh, enact this humble curiosity and truly listen through to what people are holding, well, then you can kind of renew imaginations by the things that you're communicating. That can happen in a one-on-one -on -one setting with a, a staff member that can happen with a team meeting that can happen through the communication that you're putting out to your audience and to what you're trying to build through your organization. And so creative communication at the heart of it is rejecting this regurgitation, rejecting this being captive to trend, rejecting peddling information to really creating transformation. It's not playing into the attention economy, but um, as a great colleague of mine, Jeff Tanner calls, um, choosing instead to live into the creation economy, where we know that we can create meaningful, lasting social transformation by sometimes just learning how to listen and then reframing and renaming the world that is, as well as the world that could be. So you've heard about, in just this brief moment, what it means to cultivate the skills of contemplative care, courageous collaboration, and creative communication. And these three together form what we call wisdom-based leadership for social transformation. 
And over the next few episodes, you'll hear us go deeper into some of these concepts and we'll sit down with leaders who have actively cultivated these skills and leaned into this work for for decades in their own unique ways, in their own unique industries and, and the things that they've built and created over time. And we'll be able to glean insights from those leaders. We also have been creating courses for you to be able to actually do the work of learning these skills, cultivating these competencies and practicing this framework for yourself, for your teams and for the organizations that you're a part of. So we invite you to follow us along in the journey. If you're not already subscribed to this podcast, subscribe. If you're not on our email list, please go to the link in our bio and make sure that you're on our email list so that you can stay up to date and never miss an update for ways that you can engage. And we're thankful for you being a part of this journey. And before we go, I want to just open the floor to both Isaiah and Byron and uh, share with us your hope for season two for our audience. What is it that you're hoping our audience experiences and what we can do together, become together just over the next few episodes? So I'll start with you, Isaiah. What is it that you want to encourage our audience and and share your hopes for season two? Yeah, when it comes to this next season, I'm really looking forward to showcasing and featuring voices that are part of our community, as well as the resources that have sustained them in the care they seek to provide uh, to others in their leadership sphere. You're going to hear from educators, you'll hear from leadership consultants, you'll hear from people in for-profit and non-profit industry, and I'm just really uh, looking forward to the ways that we will be able to showcase diverse representation of leadership, that leadership doesn't always look the same, it doesn't always feel the same, uh, that there's unique textures and ways that it gets enacted and embodied based on our own genius and culture and tradition, and so I'm really excited to be able to learn uh, along with our audience uh, this season as we we turn it to our guests and imagine ways in which we can come together, cherish our difference, and be able to dream and enact a new world together. That's amazing. Thank you, Isaiah. What about you, Byron? What is your hopes? You know, my, I, my hope really for this season is that for those out there who have ever felt the feeling that they're not worthy to be a leader. I want you to know that hopefully through these podcasts and through these courses that you'll be encouraged to learn the practices, to understand that, yes, you can. You can lead. You can be a leader and you can be a person of influence in your family, in your community, and in your organization. And uh, it comes from the inner person. It is something that anybody who desire growth uh, that through time and through learning and through growing and through developing, that you can be a, a heart-centered leader with impact and influence. So, Thank you so much. That's our hopes for you and for us together over the course of the next few episodes. So thank you for joining us on this journey, and we'll see you next time.